Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We live to glorify the name of the Lord, that our lives do glorify you, Lord. As we come before you tonight, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the word that you've given to me for the folks who are here tonight. I know, Lord, that it will be life-changing, life-giving, and life-affirming because it comes from you. All things about you are life-giving and life-affirming and life-changing. So, Father God, tonight we just thank you that you love us so much and you look out for us so well, Father, that you say, I am going to give you a word that will change your life. So we thank you, Father, that we will go from this place changed changed by your word and by your spirit in the name of the father son and the holy ghost amen Amen. well good evening it's good to see you all especially the daryl and roshan who are back from their vacation amen amen all righty well as a public service announcement i changed the title (laughs) slightly And I also changed the scripture reference slightly. So there's there's my public service announcement. So faster when he listens, he'll know. Amen. Amen. During the Ann Durant meetings on the first night she was here, she said tests happen because we live in the world. And that kind of like resonated with in my spirit somewhere and sort of like got something going you know it it got into my spirit and it started moving through me and I was like wow there's something in there that tests happen because we live in the world and it hit the spot concerning sickness I don't know about you guys, but whenever I have become ill as a believer, I felt guilty on occasion, you know, because, you know, people talk about, you know, you know, when you when they say you're sick, you know, Christians run around denying that they're sick. You know, their nose is running, they're sneezing, they're coughing up a lung, you know, and you say, oh, you have a cold. No. You know. So there's a certain level of denial in sickness, and there was a certain level for myself as a believer of guilt. Because, I, you know, I, I convinced myself as a believer I wasn't supposed to get sick. You're not supposed to be sick. You're a believer. So when she said that about test, and I said, okay, sickness is like a test. So it came to me at that point that you can become sick just because you're moving through the world. You haven't done anything wrong. You know, you may have shaken somebody's hand that was ill, you know, and you have bec- you then become ill as a result of it, but you haven't done anything wrong, and there's nothing to feel guilty about. As I continued to process the information, the scripture came to me concerning Jesus washing the disciples' feet, you know. 
And, you know, I said to pastor when I did this, I said, I'm not advocating foot washing because, you know, pastor has said on I don't know how many occasions there will never be a foot washing service in this church. So I said, Pastor, you know, I'm not on Wednesday going to advocate washing feet, and we're not going to have a service while you're gone, you know, because that'll get me kicked out, (laughs) even though I am the favorite. At that point in time, my favorites card would have to be turned in. But that scripture came to mind, and it came to mind in this respect. As we move through the world, things circumstances come at us and like dirt will get on us and we need to wash to get it off you know and so I was like okay I I can work with that now if we look at John 13 1 through 10 which is where we're going to to spend most of our time It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And we're going to stop right there. And we're going to talk about the practical aspects of this particular act that Jesus did and in Jesus's day we look at who had this responsibility this function was normally done by household slaves okay and when someone came into the house the slaves came with water a towel and a basin and they washed the person's feet it was regarded as one of the most demeaning tasks anyone could perform just imagine though you know now these folks are walking around in sandals so they're walking around in these streets that are dirty muddy manure covered because the animals are walking around and you get to be the one that has to wash their feet amen Because who wants that mess at the dinner table or in your house, right? People, even some people today, different cultures and stuff, ask you to remove your shoes when you come into their house because there's stuff on your shoes that can get into their homes. So they will ask you to remove your shoes. Now, some people find that offensive. Now, I'm not a big barefoot person. You know, I don't go into my house and the first thing I take off are my shoes like some folk I know. And I'm looking at them too. All right. They, the first thing that come off are the shoes. You know, that's not me. You know, you basically literally have to pry mine off. You know, like Pastor talked about, he always got on shoes too. You got to pry mine off. But I respect your household when you say we, we'd like for you to take your shoes off. 
So I will. And when I know I'm coming to your house, I've done the necessary hygiene thing so that, you know, all is good and we remain friends. Amen? Amen. So it was a practical thing in Jesus' day because the feet were just a mess. And like I said, nobody wanted that either in their house or at their dinner table. Amen? But there's a deeper understanding in there. There was a deeper meaning that Christ wanted us to get out of that. And that's what I want to focus on tonight and move through as we talk about do you need a wash? The original title was do you need a wash today? And I don't know why I dropped the today. I just did. I just like the way do you need a wash sounded. You know, because I think it might be that you can ask yourself that question, do you need to wash this minute, this second, this hour, you know? So I think it just encompasses everything about do you need a wash. The initial spiritual washing that we see in John 13:6 through 9, it says, then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So the question that I asked was, who must do this washing? And as we see in these verses, Jesus is the one that has to do the washing. We must allow Jesus to wash us because without this washing, we cannot have fellowship with either the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. He laid aside his divine prerogatives to serve lost humanity. He took our filth, sin onto himself. Jesus lays aside his garments, and that's the symbolization of him laying aside his deity to become human, to become man for us. He's saying in that, I laid it down for you, and I am going to take on your sin or your filth. So just imagine you're dusty, you're dirty, manure-filled feet are being washed, what the water looks like and what the towel looks like or what the cloth looks like. So just as you imagine that cloth, imagine that those are your sins on the one who was sinless. So imagine all that dirt, grime, muck, everything on this white cloth. And you've got a picture of what your sins look like on Jesus Christ. This was his ultimate act of love for us. It says if we go back up to verse 1 at the end, he said, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's how much he loved us. He laid it aside and said, I'm going to take it on. He was the only one who could take it on. So let's, let's not get it twisted in any way, shape, or form because he was perfect. He was perfect and sinless. 
in Philippians 2, and I want to read that. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. This is explaining parts of John 13. It says that he did not consider it a robbery to be equal with God because he was God. But he laid that aside and said, Father, I'll go. I'll go for them. And just, you know, I, I, I'm always in my mind thinking of the scripture that says, Who art man, thou, O Lord, that thou art mindful of him? God is mindful of man all the time all the time he put a plan into place and his only begotten son said well if you love him that much i love him that much and he said okay you're going to need to die for him oh okay and then he said holy spirit you're going to have to go and live inside those vessels and the holy spirit said okay if you love him that much i love him that much So what Jesus is talking about here, too, in John, is demonstrations of love as well. He's talking about a demonstration of love. Now, like I said, don't don't get it twisted. Only Jesus could do that initial washing. That's what I called it, the initial spiritual washing. Only Jesus could do that. We must have this washing because we were guilty before a God who is so holy, we ourselves could never earn his acceptance. By ourselves, we could never do it. We had to have a Savior. And that Savior had to be Jesus Christ. We only need this spiritual washing once as we see in John 13:10 it says Jesus said to him he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean and you are clean but not all of you now the but, but not all of you is talking about Judas cuz we he knew what Judas was up but he says Jesus said to him he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean So we need to occasionally wash our feet because stuff gets on our feet as we are walking through the world. Now, sometimes the stuff that gets on our feet is intentional and sometimes it's unintentional. The intentional stuff is when you intentionally decide you're going to sin. I'm just going to do this, you know, and and don't get me wrong. I, I think, you know. I know I have. I'll speak for me. We'll be honest. Where I just go, Lord, I'm just going to do this. And that's the funny thing about it when I do it. I always go, Lord, I'm just going to do this. So I go to him and I tell him, Lord, I'm just going to do this. And, you know, sometimes we have a conversation. Holy Spirit, we're going back and forth. Well, you know, that's not something you should do. I know. But, Lord, I'm just going to do this. And then it's like, 
you know, God is about choice. He, you know, he's not going to force me to not do that. So, you know, but then I do that and then I feel real bad. You know, I get the conviction going on and I go, why did you do that? Why did you do that? But we can make those choices and so stuff gets on our feet. And we need a wash. You know, and I was thinking about uh, washing. If you look, my sweater, and, then, you know, it's a great object lesson. I didn't intend it. But I got something on my sweater <laughs> at work. And it wasn't intentional. And I'm not even sure where it came from or anything. And I looked down, and I was like, this has stained my sweater. You know? And that's what sin And sometimes if we're not responding correctly to circumstances and things, we'll do. It will stain us, and we need to wash it. Now, I have every expectation that once this sweater is clean, this stain will be gone. So that's my object lesson. When you get washed, when you wash your feet, guess what? It's gone. Amen? When we were washed by the blood of Jesus for salvation... That sin went. Please don't let anybody and anything try to tell you that it didn't. You've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. So Jesus says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. That's because they are what is taking us through the world as we move along. Amen? So there has to be an ongoing washing. And that's what, he, that's what we're talking about in these verses, that there is an ongoing washing. Why must we have this ongoing washing? Is because this washing is needed in order to maintain our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, like I said, sometimes, you know, when, when, you've, when you've sinned and you, and you know you've sinned, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to go in prayer, you know, or to praise and to worship, to lift your hands, to minister to anyone else, because you are so wrapped up in the fact that you have sinned. That's why you have to wash and get it off of you so that you can then go back to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Because dirt gets on us as we walk or move through the world or sin, so we need to be washed. Who initiates this washing? We do. We do. We initiate this. You know, and we, it comes as the Holy Spirit personally convicts us of wrong attitudes, behaviors, or thinking. And I know... Some of you know what it feels like when the Holy Spirit goes to work on convicting. I have had sleepless nights talking with the Holy Ghost. You know, where it's like, you need to to fix that. Okay, no, that's not, you know, it's almost like he's saying, okay, you're saying okay only so you can go to sleep. I know that trick. No, 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 we're going to talk about this because you really need to fix this. And there have been times when, you know, I've said to the Holy Ghost, no, I'm right. (laughs) I love those conversations. No, I'm right. 
You're not right. You're going to fix this. Holy Spirit, no. I spent two days one time in discussion about a situation, and I was right. You know, I was like, did you hear how they talked to me? Did you hear what they said? And the Holy Spirit went, no, I'm really not interested in that, you know. And what came to mind is a long time ago, pastor said, there's no excuse for bad behavior. We as believers are not excused to do bad behavior. How many of you just love talking to people at customer service? Something broke and you need it fixed and you have to call customer service. And the first thing you want to do is start yelling at these people, especially if the thing is maybe two, three months old, it's new, and the person on the line isn't sympathetic enough. You know, that's what usually gets me. I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to feel my pain. And they're not feeling it. You know, but there's no excuse for bad behavior. You still have to maintain that you are a child of the king. In your speech, in your behavior, in everything. So since there's no excuse for bad behavior, when the Holy Spirit comes along and convicts you and says, that was not good behavior, then our response needs to be okay so that we restore our fellowship. That we're not separate or that we're not spending two days in an argument you know you're going to lose. As if, if, if your heart is right, you're going to lose that argument. So get it right as quickly as you possibly can so then you can move on. Amen? We also initiated as we acknowledge that we have sinned to Christ and in faith we apply his forgiveness and return to fellowship with him. We have to apply his forgiveness. We have to believe that we are forgiven. That's the thing. A lot of times, many people, they, they don't allow themselves to be forgiven. You're probably your own worst enemy when it comes to, to certain things. Because, you know, it's like you ask for forgiveness and then, you know, that voice and pastors talking about hearing the voice of God. But that voice comes up and says, you're not forgiven. How could he forgive you? How could you even do that to begin with? You say that you're a believer. How could you even begin to do that? How could you talk badly to your wife, to your husband, to your parents, to your boss? How could you do that? So we then won't accept the forgiveness. You have to accept that forgiveness And a lot of times the enemy wants you to not accept that forgiveness because then what will happen is you get further and further and further away from where you need to be with Christ. Then then your hearing really starts to go because, you know, when you're standing next to me, I hear you just fine. But try going towards the bathroom and talk to me in a normal voice. Am I really going to hear you? So that's what, what, what's, um, what's a device or a tactic is to allow you to draw away so then you can hear what he's saying to you. The things that are going to help you, the things that are going to help your, 
your family, the things that are going to catapult you into where God wants you to be. Amen? We do, we initiate it also when we realize that what is coming against us is trying to distract us or take away what we have been given by God. And that's the biggest thing. We get distracted. You know, it talks about the little foxes. We get distracted. You know, this, to me, the biggest example of this is this election thing. Oh my gosh, everybody is distracted. I am amazed at how many can, people can find an article, a quote, a video, everything to support their position. I don't care what position you have. They find a way to support it with something. And then people aren't validating these things either. You find out some of them are not true. You know, they said this or they said that. You find out, nope, that's a hoax. And people are not doing that. But it's a distraction. You know, so I love the 100-day prayer challenge up until the election because that keeps you focused. The prayers aren't about, you know, let this candidate win or that candidate win. No, it's Lord, reveal your truth. Reveal the truth to, to your people so that, you know, we do what you've called us to do kind of thing. Not kind of thing, but called us to do thing. So, but this election is a perfect example of a distraction that is, that can be taking us away of what we've been given by God or what God wants us to do, you know, and it's divisive. You know, I think you got, you got, if you're not careful, you're going to have churches against each other. You know, they're going to be like, well, if you vote for Donald Trump, I can't belong to your church. Or if you vote for Hillary Clinton, I can't belong to your church. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? When, the, when we've got people going to hell quickly, with a quickness, as, as they would say, and we're not talking to them about the love of Jesus. And the fact that they need Jesus in their lives. But we're going to spend hours on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and chat something. You know, I don't even know what that one is. Chat something. You know, who? Snapchat. There it is. Did you hear that somebody was trying to buy Snapchat for $3 million and it's worth $19 million? I'm like, how are these things worth anything? But anyway, just a side note. Hmm? advertising ah okay now that explains it then but anyway so you know so they're doing all of this stuff i decided one day i just wasn't gonna go on and it it was funny because i think somebody said in there what did we ever do before facebook you know somebody said what, what did we ever do before facebook and i said well i'm gonna try yeah you picked up the phone or you went to visit you know, you went to visit somebody. But so I said, I'm going to stay off of Facebook all day and see. And, you know, it was sort of like television was on, but that wasn't holding my interest. And I can't tell you how many times I picked up my phone 
And I was like, no. And I kept putting it down. I was like, what did you do before this was here? I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like we're hooked on something. You know, we're addicted. I was like, okay, Lord, we, we need to work on this. We need to work on this. Because, I, you know, I started a new job. And, you know, um, my phone isn't on because I'm sitting at the front desk and, you know, I'm welcoming people to the senator's office or on the phone and everything. And I was going through withdrawal. I never thought I, I was so connected to my phone. And I was, for the first couple of days, I was like, oh, my gosh. And at lunchtime, you know, I pulled it out. Just that, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So I was like, no, you know, how about how about we do some praying? How about we read our daily chapter? You know, I could use the phone for that. You know, <laughs> so we have so many things going on, but but we're being distracted, and the reason that we're being distracted is to be pulled away from what God is wanting us to do as His body representing Him here on this earth so we we need to make sure that we're we're not being distracted we need to be cognizant of are we being distracted or pulled away from what god is wanting us to do the other thing is to take away what god has given you you know i i sent this note to pastor because on sunday he was talking about you know the voice that you hear in your head and how it can send you and do certain things to you, and it's not God. And I had to laugh because one day last week I was in the office, and people were having a conversation. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I was convinced the conversation was about me. Now, how self-centered is that to begin with? But anyway, we won't even discuss that piece of it. I just knew that they hated me. I was doing a terrible job. They were going to talk to the senator about letting me go. I mean, it was awful. It was intense. It was quick. And for a minute there, I'm standing there like deer in the headlights. Like, oh, my gosh. what? A... And then snap in what God says about me. You know? That you're the head and not the tail. That you're the righteousness of Christ Jesus, you know? And I was just like, where did it, after I got myself together, I then said, where did that come from? And it was all me. You know, I am not even going to say it was the devil or nothing because it wasn't. It was just all me. And we do that to ourselves because, again, we're something is trying to take away what we have been given by God. God has given us. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind, a sound one, you know? So I had to get my sound mind together because it was just awful. I began, and it started to make me feel bad, you know? And I was like, what? So we have to initiate this washing, and we have to be aware that we need washing. You know, you might be doing fine, and come lunchtime, you need a, you need a washing. Wash your feet. 
you know, come two o'clock in the afternoon, you need to wash your feet. So when do we need this washing? As soon as we recognize that we have forfeited our relationship with Christ. And I'm going to stop right there. Because that afternoon, I realized very quickly that I was forfeiting my relationship with Christ. Because I was saying things about myself that God has never said. Even if all I say is that he loves me, that's good enough. That's the ultimate right there. Because he sent his only begotten son who took on my sins. Amen? So I said to myself, I said, okay, I am getting too, I'm getting so wrapped up in my own thoughts. And they're negative. They're derogatory. You know, and it, then I know the next step would have been, how could God love you? You're a mess. You know, you're, who wants to love a mess, you know? So I, I immediately, I immediately recognized that this was not God. This was not God at all. And this was trying to, to forfeit my relationship. And I'm not going to forfeit my relationship. Not consciously anyway. Sometimes I get unconscious and do stupid. But for the most part, I tend to stay conscious. We find ourselves not doing his will or not saying what he says about us and our circumstances. To me, that's the biggest thing when we need the washing. You know, because we start saying or allowing what others say about us that's against the word of God. You know, God said that David was a man after his own heart. He said that Abraham was a friend of God. And Pastor was talking on Sunday about Gideon. He kept calling Gideon a man of valor. But Gideon didn't hear that. He wasn't lining that up. He said to Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. Abraham wasn't hearing that. And even though he changed his name so that every time Abraham was said, that's what it meant. That's not what he was hearing. So sometimes that's not what we're hearing. And that's when we need this washing, when we're not hearing the correct things. You know, because, you know, sometimes as, as, as spouses, uh, you know, siblings and workers and things like that, we hear a lot of negative things, you know, or, or you know, I, Carter had, had a binder clip in his shorts on Sunday because the shorts were too big and I couldn't find a pen. So I stuck a binder clip in the baby's shorts, Okay. So, you know, people might say that you're a bad person for that, but it kept his shorts up, you know. I just went with it from that end, you know. It kept his shorts up and kept people from seeing his diaper all over the place as he ran around and his shorts fall down, you know. I, you know, I don't kind of let those kinds of things get me down too much, but people would come to you and say, you know, you're a bad person because you stuck a binder clip in the baby's shorts. I... If that's how you feel about it. But I didn't think I was a bad person. I was keeping his shorts up, you know. But there are times when people come to you and and try to lay on you what they think 
about you. And we need to know what God says about us so that we can repel that and not allow that to stain us. Wash it so it doesn't stain us. And that stain, you know, because when when something gets stained also, it hides the real material or the real um, purpose of of this thing that's been stained. So that's why we need to get it off and get it off of us. Amen? Amen. These, I have some examples that I want to talk to you about. I didn't get a chance to put them in your in your um, outline, so you're going to have to follow these along on this one. When we sin, and I pulled David and Bathsheba, because David sinned in this instance, and Daryl, this is Second Samuel 11, and we're going to start at verse 1, and I may jump around. I'm not sure I'll do all... T- 27 verses but anyway it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that david sent joab and his servants with him in all israel and they destroyed the people of ammon and besieged rabah but david remained in jerusalem all right keep that in mind then it happened one evening that david arose from his bed stop there Okay, kings are supposed to go out to battle. David stayed home. He sent the army, and he stayed home. Then he slept all day. He slept all day because it says, then it happened when evening, (laughs) happened one evening that David arose from his bed. He slept all day. That's not what kings are supposed to do. So right here and now, David really should stop and get a wash. But he doesn't. He keeps going, okay? Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. We still need a wash here. You know, time is going on, and we still need a wash. But David has not done it. This gets worse we know that it gets worse. So just picture this thing getting bigger that's on my sweat. Because that's what's happening. This thing is getting bigger for David. You know, he, you know she says, I'm with child. And he goes, now what are we going to do? So he sends for her husband so he can go in. Because now they're going to they're gonna make it so the, the child is Uriah, but Uriah doesn't play that. Because he's like, no. You know, the army is in the field. I can't go lay with my wife. I'm going to sleep out here by the door. So now David's plan is, you know. Then we take keep imagining this thing is getting bigger. So he plans and has Uriah killed. But this is a man after God's own heart. Why? 
Why is because in chapter 12, when the prophet Nathan comes to him, David is quick. He's quick to fix this with God. He's quick. And that's what I said up here. We need to do it as soon as we recognize that we've got a stain, that we have forfeited our relationship, and we need to be quick. Because we need to get back into fellowship with God. Amen? Amen. Like I said, I wasn't sure we were going to read it all. But like I said, and we see in chapter 12 how God sent the prophet. We do not believe what God says about us. That's Genesis 20. This is Abraham. I use Abraham a lot because I just learn quite a bit from Abraham and his life experiences. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, it says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and and dwelt between Kaddish and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Stain, stain. But God came to Abimelech. <laughs> he came to Abimelech, okay? Now this, this is not a God-fearing king, but this was so important to God. You know, like they said, God will use a mule. God will speak to whom he needs to speak to to get the job done. He came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she even said herself, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hand, I have done this. Hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, see, God, God's like, okay, he he, did not do right. You know, so I need to, I need to protect them here. I need to put something between them to protect them because, you know, the stain is, is, is kind of getting a little large there so god goes okay let's spray something on it (laughs) now therefore verse seven i think i'm at verse seven now therefore restore the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you shall live but if you do not restore her know that you shall surely die and you all who are yours So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How how have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not be done. When we don't believe what god has said because god told abraham you will be the father of many nations basically okay if you don't have any children right now you can't die nothing can happen to you and if sarah is the mother then nothing can happen to her either but they didn't believe god they did not believe god so 
They got dirt on their feet. And they, was, they, they didn't take a wash. God used Abimelech to wash the dirt off of Abraham's feet. Amen? Amen. So we need a wash when we don't believe what God has told us. When we're saying things contrary to what God has said. God said that I will make you prosperous. Now, you know, a lot of people just say money. And money's good. Don't get me wrong. Money's very good. But you will also be prosperous in revelation and knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom will get you money. Revelation will get you money. All right? So if we put it in that perspective, we're better off that way. All right? Because I know for a fact that when I have revelation from God, no one can take it from me. You can't tell me that God doesn't hear me when I know he does. You can't tell me that God doesn't love me when I know he does. So when something comes along and says, you're a mess, nobody loves you, oh, no. Mm -mm. It's time to take that wash. It's time to, to get the dirt off the feet because something is trying to separate me from my relationship with my Savior. Where did we stop? Verse 9. Verse 9. And Abimelech called Abraham. Okay. Verse 10. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. No. God said you would be the father of many nations. They can't kill you. They can't kill you. But he didn't believe what God said. The last example I have is the enemy tries to stop us from doing the work of the Father. Acts 16, 13. I don't know that we'll do all 40, but we'll go (laughs) to to the point. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the, to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And we know this story that she came after them and, you know, they rebuked the the demon out of her. And all of a sudden, you know, the masters can't make any profit anymore. So they're mad. They're mad. But prior to this, they're doing God's work. You know, you ever be doing God's work and you're going along and you're happy and you know it's off your feet. I have a little two-year-old. Um, but, you know, you're, you're doing God's work and you're just, you're excited about it and bam, something comes. Somebody at work tells a tale on you about something you didn't do, a mistake that was made that wasn't yours. 
car comes out of nowhere, smacks into your car. I mean, something happens. The washing machine broke, breaks or the air conditioning goes on the highest day of the year or the power goes out on the coldest day of the year and you don't have a generator, you know. But you were doing God's work. Why did this happen to you? Again, it's a circumstance. You need to wash your feet. We're going to skip down to... Um, we're going to skip down to verse 22. It says, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Now, you know, you've been beaten. You've been put into the inner prison. Your car is smashed up. Your air conditioning is broken. Your washer's broken. Whatever is going on, are you singing praises to God? Or are you going, why in the world did I take on that ministry? Look at what is happening to my house. Again, wash your feet. Wash your feet. And sing praises to God. Know that this calamity didn't come from him. This, again, is something that's trying to make you forfeit your relationship or separate you from God. Amen. He said, and then in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Prayer, praise, worship will do that. It will do that. It will lose some chains. It will quake some earth. Amen. But we have to initiate that and wash our feet as we go through the world because we're moving through the world. And as we move through the world, dirt gets on our feet. When we walk through the world doing the work of him who sent us or if we sin, we have the ability to wash the dirt off our feet or our souls using effective prayers, praise, worship, love, and I mean the agape kind of love, meditation, and the word of God. All of those things are washing agents available to you at a moment's notice. Love will cause dirt to fall away. You know, because when you love like God loves, they can't offend you. They can't offend you. That's the hardest thing in the world, is to stay out of offenses, but love. Staying focused on love. The Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, meditating on who God says you are, 
meditating on who God is. I talk to my Sunday school class a lot about the character of God. So when the situation comes, you can say to yourself, does this represent God's character? And if it doesn't, then you know that it's not from God. Amen? Because, you know, the world is blaming God for everything. You know, and, and, you know, my favorite statement is God is in control of everything. I think I know where they get that. However, that's not true. Because if God were in control because he loves us so much, everybody would be saved. They would be saved. If he could make them accept him as Lord and Savior, he would because he loves them so much. So he's not in control of that. It says life and death are in the power of the tongue. That means that you're controlling life and death in the power of your tongue because it's your tongue that's moving. It's your tongue that's speaking, not God. Amen? So no, it's, it's not that way when it talks about him being in control. I know they have a point there, but I, I've yet to get to it exactly. So that could be another teaching. Look out. But anyway... So we need to take these things, like I said, we need to take effective prayers, praise, worship, love, meditation, and the word of God and wash our feet as often as we need it. Some days it may be every hour on the hour. Some days it might be once a day. Some days it might, or some weeks, maybe it could be once a week. I don't know. But we have to take the initiative when we see our relationship be coming into jeopardy with Jesus Christ. Because that relationship has got to be the most important relationship that we have. Amen? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came, who died, who demonstrated for us many, many behaviors that will, in fact, draw us closer and closer to you. And then, oh, Father God, help us. Help us to draw others to you because it is said in your word that your desire is that none should perish. And that is our desire as well. So, Father God, as we walk through this world, let our feet be clean, Father God, and let not dirt and things stain us so that we can be about the Father's work. And if it happens, Father God, as it can happen, that we are quick to acknowledge that that's what's going on and go to your word, meditate on your word, pray, praise, worship you, Father, so that we then are clean once again and that we can go on and do what you've called us to do. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for everyone that was here, Father, and we ask that as they go from this place, they go safely. They go with the love of God in their hearts, Father, and that they do all that you've called them to do. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.